All right, good morning. It's good to see you warm up in conversation there. We really are glad that you're with us this morning. And uh, as we begin uh, to look at the scriptures before we open, I want to just acknowledge maybe this has been true for you like it is for me. As, as you go through these recent weeks, you, you think about a happy moment or a hard moment, and then you think about what's going on in the Ukraine, and it kind of changes perspective, right? You think, ah, oh, it's cold, and I got to get up early this morning. And then, it, then that pales in perspective, You're right? And so uh, as, and I hope you have been praying for brothers and sisters in Christ and for uh, what's happening in our world, as you pray, I want to remind you of this scripture. The Apostle John says, but whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how's the love of God abide in him? Little children. That's not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. So it's, it's not that words don't matter. It's that sometimes we need more than words to help. And so I want to encourage you. Maybe you've been thinking about this, not sure how to get involved. But our mission team and our elders are offering uh, for your consideration four specific organizations that are meeting practical needs of folks suffering through this war in Ukraine. So you see the four here. They're on our website. If you just go to our website, you can read more about them. You know, the way we do missions here at the chapel is instead of asking you to give us all the money and then we distribute it, we invite you to be informed in how you would most want to invest your resources. And so uh, there's multiple different opportunities for how to help here. And I don't want us to be people who have goods but don't apply them in time of need. So would you prayerfully consider uh, giving towards one or more of these? As I present that to you, uh, I want to encourage you in two ways. First, uh, sometimes it might feel like uh, the elders are always saying, how about give here? How about give here? How about give here? Uh, I want you to know that that we do try to lead the way in, in our own doing what we say. And so uh, we have taken $25,000 out of our reserve funds and invested out of our reserves in helping according to First John 3. So we're not just telling you to do something. We're seeking to lead the way in that. And second, uh, sometimes it, because it's so far away and though we see it on our TVs, we go, does the few dollars or the few hundred dollars I might give, does it really ever make a difference? And so I want to encourage you. Uh, two months ago now, we, we said, would you be willing to invest in a gospel work among the unreached Shamar people in India? And lots of you gave. And just to encourage you, when we give, even though it's on the other side of the world, um, the Lord does use it. Here are, we just got these pictures this week, here are three new families that have come to faith in Jesus just in the last month. And Shamar people in India. 
And many of you gave, got, gave for Bibles to distribute. These are all new believers uh, that were given a Bible that you bought just in the last uh, 30 days to be able to not only come to faith in Jesus, but now to learn about the God that they have put their trust in through the scriptures. So just a reminder, it might feel like it's distant, it doesn't make a difference, when we give, and we give thoughtfully in appropriate manner to good, helpful organizations, the Lord does use that. So I hope that encourages your generosity as you consider not only what is happening and what we're investing in in India, but how we might make a difference in the name of Jesus in Ukraine as well. All right, now would you take your Bibles with me and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to look at prayer this morning and next week. I don't know what that does in you when you think, oh, a sermon, two weeks on prayer. If that excites you or if that bores you or if that makes you go, oh, no, here comes the guilt trip. I hope you'll have an open heart to see what the scripture says and that by the end of this time, you'll actually be encouraged by what we see in the scriptures regarding the issue of prayer and our relationship with the Lord. Uh, Ephesians 6, we're going to look at one verse this morning, verse 18, in this series that we're calling Stand. It says in verse 18, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. So, very brief, but pretty big call to prayer right there. To pray at all times for all the saints. But I want you to ask yourself this question. Why does he speak to praying at this point in his letter to the church there in Ephesus. You see, when we, when we read the scriptures, we're not only asking the question, what does it say? We're asking the question, why is the author choosing to write what he's writing at this moment in the context of everything else he's written? So why does he speak to prayer at this moment? And I don't think it's because, well, he's getting close to the end of the letter, and you know in the church he always close things with prayer. I don't think that it's, okay, we're closing now. I think he's saying pray at all times for this reason. What's the context? Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. So why is he speaking to prayer at this moment? Because... And we see it physically in Ukraine. We've been trying to see it spiritually, the reality every moment of every day, everywhere. He says pray because we're at war. And that's not hard to understand physically, is it? When, we, when we're at war, people pray. People who don't normally pray when there's war, pray. And he's saying we're at war spiritually. There's an enemy Against you, pray. Pray because, first, this is the motivation, because 
as children of God, we do have an enemy, and he's always lying. This is by way of review, but this context is important. We pray because we have an enemy who's lying in order to render us fruitless and useless as children of God. So we pray because we're at war. And we pray because though we have an enemy who is trying to destroy us, prayer gives us the opportunity to ask the Almighty for help. I think this is important. This is not, hey, pray because God needs somebody to talk to. Pray because it's a good discipline. Pray because, you know, it's like exercise and eating your broccoli. It's just good for you. No, it's pray because you have an enemy who wants to destroy you and access to the Almighty who can help you. Do you believe that? See, you, you and I won't pray like the text, verse 18, talks about until we believe we're at war. We won't. We might pray out of discipline. We might pray out of duty. But we won't pray as this text talks about until we believe we really have an enemy that wants to destroy us and we have access to the Almighty who can help us. Do I believe I'm at war and do I believe God can help me? When I believe those two things, I'll pray. You may know the name Cory Tembu, a Dutch woman who in the midst of World War II, was hiding Jews in her house in protection against Nazi Germany, at risk of what? Death and going to a concentration camp herself. And she was, and her family caught, and she and her family were imprisoned in Nazi concentration camp for their attempt in the name of Jesus to do good during that time. If you're doing that, you know you're at war. Would you pray? Seriously. If, I mean, translate it. If you were hiding believers from Muslim extremists in our day, you'd pray every day, wouldn't you? And then if you were captured, would you pray? Yeah, you see, we pray... When we know where we're and we believe there's a God who can help. She says, the wonderful thing about praying is that you leave a world of not being able to do something helpless and enter God's realm where everything is possible. He specializes in the impossible. Nothing is too great for his almighty power. Nothing is too small for his love. If you want an encouragement, that we are at war, and there is a God, the Almighty, who can help in big and small, then you ought to read her little book, The Hiding Place. It's old. It's still good. (laughs) Really good. Because she knew physically what we need to learn spiritually. We're at war. We have an enemy, and we have a God who helps. So... That's the motivation to pray. How should we pray? Go back to the text, verse 18. Let's look at it again. How should we pray? With all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the spirit. And with this in view, be on the alert with all perseverance and petition for all the saints. Five commands. Pray with 
petition. How should you pray? With petition. What's that mean? (laughs) With ask, with request. Uh, All of prayer is not asking, but a significant part of prayer is asking. We ask the Almighty for help for ourselves and others. He says, pray with petition. And he says, pray at all times. Why would we pray at all times? Because our enemy doesn't work eight to five. Right? And I don't only need help sometimes. I'm always under attack and I always need help. So when I get both realities, then I pray with petition at all times in the spirit. Praying in the spirit, that doesn't mean something hocus pocus. What's that mean? That means that I pray in line with the purpose and will of the Father. As I have his heart and his mind, I pray accordingly. I pray in the spirit. And I pray with alertness. When I know I'm at war. See, I can, I can acknowledge to you, I've fallen asleep in prayer before. You have too, right? If you haven't fallen asleep in prayer, it's because you don't pray. Because if people pray, they fall asleep. I pray, I've fallen asleep praying out loud. Not very good. That would not be true if I was in a bunker and bombs were going off around me. Then I wouldn't be sleepy in my prayer. So when I'm motivated with prayer, with the reality of an enemy, I pray with alertness because I am alert and with perseverance. You get it? See, everything about verse 18 makes sense when I get it in the context. I have an enemy who destroys me. I'm not accomplishing a discipline here. I am dependent. I'm needy. And the Almighty has said, ask me at any point, at any time, for whatever you need in my name. Pray with alertness. Pray with perseverance. And pray for all believers. Phew, that's a long list. Does that would not push you over the edge? You kind of, huh, yeah, pray for all, okay, sure. Who in here is praying for all believers? Well, Jesus, help all the believers. There, did it. Maybe you don't sense what I sense, but when I look at eight, verse 18, and, I, and it didn't take me long. I didn't make these up. These were just, I just went through the verse and said, here's what it says, how I should pray. When, will you do something just honest with me? Think about your prayer life. Just think about your prayer life in the past week, and then lay it alongside verse 18. And then what do you feel? Yeah. Right? And you're like, uh. Seriously? Like what, we, we see what it says here, but the reality of our praying is this. We pray sometimes for some people. Not true? <laughs> we pray sometimes. I know I should pray all the time, but I pray sometimes. And, and I guess I should pray for everybody, but I pray for some people. <laughs> and reality of my praying is that I don't always know what to ask. Maybe you do. I don't always know what to ask. There's been times where I'm like, I'm not even sure what to ask here, Lord. Or this one sometimes gets even harder, or if to ask. 
I pray about this? I'm not sure what to ask, or even if I should ask. And I lay my life along, pray for all believers at all times in the spirit. I'm challenged because the reality of praying is sometimes some people don't know what to ask, what to ask, or if to ask. Mostly we just think, I know I should pray more. <laughs> Maybe you don't think that, but most of us think, I know. I know. Maybe that's what you thought. Oh, sermon on prayer. Here it comes. Supposed to pray more. And he's going to say, you need to get up earlier. And you need to buy a journal. And on the way out, pick up this prayer calendar. And actually, I'm not going to say any of those things. Because, not because they're wrong. Because those reflect tools to prayer. But when I lay my life and my prayer practice along verse 18, the question is, how do I pray more? And it's not about tools. It's about my heart. Prayer is really, it's not a discipline exercise. It's a relational exercise. So I'm going to pray more. There has to be something that happens in my heart and what I really think and believe. So I'm going to offer some heart issues first. The pathway to praying more, I think, begins with this. I pray more if, when, I believe God moves in response to prayer. I pray more... If that's too many words for you, here, let me make it simple. I pray more when I think it works. And I pray less when I lose confidence that prayer makes a difference. Correct? Honest moment. How many of you wondered, I'm not really sure prayer works? Yeah. A few bold, few, I, I'm willing. I'm not sure. Does it really make a difference? Because how many of you believe in the sovereignty of God? Oh. So how in the world does prayer work then? If God has already known exactly what he's going to do all the time before it ever happens. If life is just like the pre-recorded halftime show of the Super Bowl, aren't we just lip-syncing our prayers? Now you may think, I've never thought of that. You're killing me. <laughs> but if I believe in the sovereignty of God, do, I, is my, do my prayers really make a difference. And so, I, I say that because it's just the stuff that we don't normally say in church. And I think more people, more of us wrestle with that quietly in our heart than we want to admit. And it, it impacts how we pray. Because, friends, let's just acknowledge, if we really believed God works in response to our prayer, and we knew we needed help, we wouldn't be like, well, I, man, how, I know I need to be doing this more. <laughs> I know I need more, and God moves in response to prayer. So does it matter? I want you to turn with me to the Gospel of John from Ephesians, and I want to look at what Jesus has to say about 
God's response to prayer. It's in the upper room, so turn to John chapter 14. The upper room, meaning it's the place where Jesus is last with his disciples the night before he's crucified. And he is speaking to them about a new reality that they have not experienced. And that is following him without him physically present there. He is preparing them to live in relationship with the Father through him like you and I have only ever known. That is without him physically present. And during this conversation, they're celebrating the Lord's, what we call the Lord's Supper for Jewish people at the time. They were celebrating the Passover meal, their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And during this meal, Jesus says this, John chapter 14, look at verse 13. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now look at the next verse, verse 14. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Turn to verse 7 of chapter 15 now. Verse 7 of chapter 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, whatever ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Go down to verse 16, same chapter, chapter 15. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Go to next chapter, chapter 16, same, same dinner, same meal time, same gathering, chapter 16, verse 23. In that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. <clears throat> next verse. Until now, you've asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. How many verses did I just read? Anybody keep count? Six. Six. 14, 13, and 14. 15, 7, 15, 16, 16, 23, and 24. They're highlighted in my Bible. Because Jesus kind of goes mom on the disciples. What do I mean by that? She repeats herself. Oh, not he. He repeats himself over and over and over. Six times in the same conversation, she, he says the same thing. Three repeated themes each time. What were they? Ask in my name and God will do. So what would Jesus say to you and me when in our hearts we go, does prayer, if God is sovereign, does prayer really make a difference? What would he say? Yes? No. He would say, yes, 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 yes. He would. He was preparing them for the life that you and I are intended to live with the Father through, son, through the Son. And that would be a, a life that asks in the name of Jesus and God responds. It's almost like it's almost like the Bible would say this. 
You don't have because you don't ask, which is exactly what it does say in James 4 too. What's going to cause you and I to live more in line with Ephesians 6.18? Pray more. What's going to cause it? An absolute conviction that when we pray in the name of Jesus, God works. Now, this, this, will, this will get me some questions in Q&A, which will be awesome. Are you saying God will do things he wasn't going to do if we didn't ask? Absolutely. Well, so you can email me. Or God, because we ask, God did something? What did Jesus say to that? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, ask, and I'll do it. In my name, ask. For many of us, we've lost confidence in that because it seems like we ask and we weren't sure, is it in the name of Jesus? And, and trust me, I got enough feedback from Thursday night to, to, to give this qualifying statement. I cannot teach all that there is to prayer in one sermon, Okay. So there's a whole more about what it is in the name of Jesus. Because right after he says, you don't have because you do not ask, he does say then, and you ask and don't have because you ask with selfish motives. So sometimes our prayers are not at all in the name of Jesus. They're just all in the name of my kingdom and what I would like to see happen. (laughs) And God's not on that train. But he says, when we ask in the name of Jesus, he acts. And it may be that you have, because you're not sure that God really does work in response to prayer, you've stopped asking. So when the disciples ask Jesus to teach them to pray, he taught them what you and I often, many of us will know as the Lord's Prayer, and we'll look at it in a minute. But in Luke chapter 11, after he teaches them the Lord's Prayer, he then tells them a story. I don't know if you ever put this together. He tells them a story about a persistent friend, a friend who goes to a friend's house at midnight and starts asking for food for a guest. And... No, I can't come. And he keeps knocking until the dude finally helps. Now, why did Jesus tell that story right after teaching them how to pray? You you don't need to guess. He tells you. (laughs) He says, right after telling the story, he says, so I say to you. In other words, here's the point of the story. (laughs) So I say to you, ask and it'll be given you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be open. Now suppose one of your fathers is asked by his son for a fish. And I give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he asks for an egg, he'll not give him a scorpion, will he? 
If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, and it doesn't say it, but implies who, who, what? Who ask, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? What's his point? You may think, I'm not sure, I'm not sure God does act in response to prayer. What's his point? Keep knocking. Keep asking. The Lord knows what's going on in your heart right now. But I'm absolutely certain that for some of you, the Lord is saying to you this morning, you have not because you ask not. And for others, he's saying to you, you ask, and then you gave up. Keep knocking. Keep knocking. And I am certain of this. God will move in response to your prayer. Part of how he may move is in changing your heart as you pray in the name of Jesus. But I promise, Jesus says six times, God the Father moves in response to prayer. Keep asking, keep asking. I would raise my hand to this, would you? I prayed for something. It didn't seem like it was making a difference, so I stopped praying. I'm the only one. Oh, there we go. See, the Lord's speaking to us this morning. We'll pray more when we become convinced. And this seems so utilitarian. This is why I say... (laughs) In more words. But we pray more when we're convinced prayer works. We pray more when we're convinced that God works in response to prayer. We're not just doing a religious exercise, fulfilling a discipline, eating our broccoli, and getting up early and going to the gym because it's good for us. But that God works in response to our asking. This isn't in the text, but here is another reality of praying more. You're likely to pray more when you have people to pray with. You're likely to pray more if you have people to pray with. I'm certain that I can say for every one of the staff members here at the chapel... The fact that we pray together multiple times each week at a designated time increases how much they pray. You see, we have the same opportunity to go to our office by ourselves or to come in here by ourselves or take a walk by ourselves or or to be in a closet by ourselves somewhere and pray But oftentimes, praying together leads to praying more. And so, I tell you that just as a reminder, 
That's why we do what we call the praying church. It happens Tuesday mornings at 10 a.m. or Wednesday nights at 6.30 p.m. You can see the places there. You can check it out on our website. But it's to facilitate asking and encouraging you to come together to ask. Now, I know how this goes down. Some of you are thinking, oh, no, I pray less if I'm with a group because there's nothing more scary to me than praying out loud with a group. That's probably true because you've done it so little. If you want to go, I just can't do that, you can't until you do. I remember the first time I was in Bible college. You may think, well, that doesn't matter. But I was in Bible college, and there were guys, a few guys who were gathering over lunch in a dorm room, and they were praying. They invited me to come. They prayed for an hour, and I was like, seriously? Seriously, we're going to skip lunch and pray, number one. Second, we're going to pray for like an hour? What are we going to pray about? And the first time I went, I was, they probably wondered, why are you here? Because I didn't pray. I was just there listening and learning and be getting oriented to praying together. And then it happened. We did it every day. And they graduated, and we continued it on. Because I learned I could go to my dorm room and pray myself, but I'd pray more if I prayed together. And I learned to pray out loud. Was I nervous the first time? Yes. Second time? Yes. Third time? Yes. When I joined the Board of Trustees at Columbia, all these old distinguished people, and we had prayer time. First time with them? Was I a little self-conscious in praying out loud with them? Yes. Second time, yes. Any more? No, because I'm the old one now. No. <laughs> I'm simply saying, you're not unique in that. All of us, including me, feel uncomfortable praying out loud in a group first time. I watch it in our family group. And there is no secret sauce that I can give to you that will make it go away for you. The only secret sauce is is to step in and pray out loud. And you don't have to make it like this sermon prayer. In fact, nobody likes sermon prayers, right? Nobody likes sermon prayers. We like prayers like this. Lord, we need a fifth grade teacher on Sunday. Amen. And you could pray that. Lord, I need a job soon. Lord, please draw my son back to walking with you. I don't need to be this long, exaggerated, quote, seven verses and move a petition in there. Just ask the Lord what you need. You'll pray more if you pray together. <clears throat> One more th <clears throat> thing from the text that I think will cause us to live in obedience to 618 more, that we would pray more. That's this. I pray more when I care. I've learned this by praying out loud together with folks. 
People pray most about what they care about most, right? I don't need to convince you that you should pray more about stuff that you care about. You already pray about that. (laughs) If you care about it, you pray about it. I, I watched even as the war broke out in Ukraine. As a staff, we prayed about it. But some staff prayed more fervently about it than others. Do you know why? Because some of them had been there and they knew real people, real families, real children who were engaged in the conflict. It's true for all of us. It's true for me. We pray more about what we care about. That's not wrong. That's reality. Except if we don't think the Lord cares about it. Right? (laughs) Maybe you care about football. Do you pray about football? Probably not. I mean, maybe you do, but you probably don't need to. Why? So I don't really think the Lord cares that much whether the Jags win or lose. Clearly. (laughs) And so, if I don't think the Lord cares about it, I go, "Eh, even though I care about it, I'm probably not going to pray about it because I don't think he really cares. So, and you'll see where I'm going with this. We'll pray more when I care about what care God cares about. I'll pray more when I care, and you might add a more there. I'll pray more when I care more about what God cares about. Because I'll believe he'll act in response to what I ask. But when I care about a bunch of stuff that he doesn't care about, I'm not going to pray very much. Ask is See, what I said is pretty important right there. If I care about a bunch of stuff that he doesn't care about that much, then I'm probably not going to pray because I don't really see where that connects. But the intersection of praying more is when my cares get in line with what God cares about. Now, I'm going to pray. See, if I believe that God cares about people and I care about people, then I'm going to pray for those people. So what does God care about? Well, I think when Jesus taught us to pray, he showed us what he cares about. Our Father, who's in heaven, uh, just ask yourself as we read, What does God care about based on what he petitions? In other words, what he asks about. Our Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. What's he care about based on what he petitions? Here's a little clue for you. (laughs) What's he care about? Father is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Oh, he cares about his name, but I'm saying, what's he care about based on his petition, his ask? Uh, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's he care about based on what he, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us as we have forgiven. And deliver us. You see, I think what we 
learn from the Lord's Prayer, maybe you've never looked at it this way, is we see what he cares about based on what he teaches us to ask about. And God values his kingdom coming to earth. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God cares about his kingdom coming to earth. God values, God cares about provision for his children. Give us this day, us, your children, give us this day our daily bread. God cares about forgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive others. He cares and values that forgiveness happens among his children. And he values holiness of his children. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now again, let me save you an email. I know the Lord cares about his name. I didn't highlight it. Why? Because I don't need to ask that God's name be holy. It is. That's a reality. He begins the Lord's with prayer with a reality. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And he ends the prayer with a reality. Yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. What's in between those two realities? The petitions. So I'm not saying that God doesn't value his name or value his kingdom. He does. Those are realities. What he values is who he is happening on earth and his glory being revealed as his kingdom come. His glory being revealed as his children are provided for. His glory being revealed as we forgive as we have been forgiven. And his glory being revealed as we walk in holiness as he is holy. You see it? I hope this makes the Lord's Prayer actually make some simple sense to you. It wasn't a rote, meaningless prayer. It was God saying, based on who I am and my glory, here's what you ask. You ask his kingdom come. You ask children be provided for, his children. You ask that bitterness not be among us and that brokenness not be among us, but the forgiveness would be true among us as it is with him. And you ask that we would live and walk in purity and righteousness and holiness because that's what's going to reveal his glory. When we start to care about those things more as God cares about them, we'll pray more. We'll pray more. Because we pray about what we care about. Now let me add one more equation to that. What we care about and we know about. There is knowledge here. Uh, just let me show you this. You know, I tend to think in graphs and charts and things like this. So don't just write it. Don't write this down yet. Just understand. Prayer happens most when I value what God values and I have knowledge about it. Let me give you an example. When I 
care about the kingdom of God coming to earth. But don't realize that there are billions of people who are yet out of access to the gospel. If my value is high but my knowledge is little, I won't pray that much. But if I understand God desires his kingdom to fill this earth and I realize that there are billions of people outside of the knowledge of Jesus, high value, high knowledge will lead to more prayer. If I care about life and I realize the extent that life is taken through abortion in our country, I pray about it more, right? If I know about it but don't care about it, little prayer. If I care about it but don't know about it, little prayer. Caring and knowing equals more prayer. Does that make sense? Make it even more just real life. Maybe you saw uh, a couple weeks ago now uh, the 16-year-old boy who drowned in the St. John's River. Three boys out, flipped a canoe over, two of them Got to sure one drowned. Any of you hear that? Okay. If you heard it, your heart broke, right? And maybe you prayed. But in reality, we prayed differently because those two boys swam up to the house beside ours. And the boy who, the mom of the boy who drowned sat at the end of our bulkhead and wept and said, how could he be drowned? And I, I recognize that night this more fully. That I know intellectually hundreds of people over the years have drowned in the St. John's River. And I care about people. I think you probably know. I care about people. But when that care meets knowledge, you pray differently. You see what I'm saying? And that's not wrong. That's right. See, the reality is, I am finite, and I can only know so many things, so many people. But if I value people and pray for the people that God puts in my realm of knowledge, and if you care about people and pray for people that God puts in your realm of knowledge, and if you know and care... You see what I'm saying? That if you'll pray and you'll pray and I'll pray and you'll pray according to who God gives in your realm, then guess what will happen? Prayer for all the saints will take place. See, I don't think he is writing an individual saying, hey, Jim, I want you to not go to work tomorrow until you pray for all the saints on the planet. That will not go well for your, right? But he's writing to a church. Pray for the saints. Pray for all the saints. In other words, pray for the people that you know God cares about and you have knowledge about. High value plus high knowledge equals more prayer. And the goal simply this morning of Ephesians 6.18 is that you and I would pray more. Because that's what it says. To pray more, believing God acts in response to prayer. Believing that we care about what God cares about. We pray more. 
Some of you will recognize these four statements that have become very important in my own understanding of praying more. Begins with, again, not a discipline, a belief. I believe God can do whatever he pleases. When I believe that, then, then, and only then, can I ask that he will. And when I'm asking, then he may do what I ask, or he may do differently than what I ask as he grows me in his likeness. So I trust what he does. And the demonstration that I trust what he does is that I praise him no matter what. Now, I know for many of you, you've like, I've heard this before, I've heard this before. I don't ever get tired of sharing these four statements because they have radically impacted and encouraged me in how to pray. When I didn't know how to pray, I believe that he can. So I ask that he will. And I'll trust what he does. And I'll praise him no matter what. I didn't always believe, so there are things I couldn't ask. And I thought if I ask, my ask wasn't an ask anymore, it was more of a demand. So I couldn't trust what he did. I was frustrated when he didn't do what I asked. And if I'm frustrated, I'm not praising. So I believe and ask and trust and praise. So it'd be weird to give a sermon on praying and not pray. So here's what I want us to do. And if you want to put your stuff away, if that helps you, you can. We're going to pray together. But we're going to pray together uniquely. We're going to pray together, but we're going to pray individually through the Lord's Prayer. And by that, I don't mean we're going to just recite it. Though at the end, I'm going to give us an opportunity to say it together. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to say, first of all, he taught us to ask his kingdom to come. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to say, where is the will of God not happening on this planet that breaks your heart? Whether that's in marriage or in Bible illiteracy, or in poverty, or in abortion? Where's the will of God not happening on the planet that breaks your heart? I'm going to give you a quiet moment to pray his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm going to give us an opportunity to pray for those who we know have needs, like real physical needs. Then I'm going to give us an opportunity to consider, are we withholding forgiveness from anyone? We've been forgiven freely and fully. Is there brokenness that needs to be resolved? And then all of us recognize we're not holy, whether it's in thought, attitude, action, relationship. Give us time to ask the Lord that we would walk in greater holiness. So bow together. We're praying together about the things that God cares about. But we're asking very specifically according to our knowledge. Where you see the kingdom of God 
not happening on this earth. Pray that it would. Ask him to work. For people who lack food or shelter, provision, lack daily bread, pray for them. Now consider in your own heart sort of brokenness in your relationship with others. Maybe you have a root of bitterness. You're holding a grudge. Or there's just junk between you and your spouse that just hasn't been forgiven. And you know where you fall short of holiness. Maybe there's sin that's pretty private and secret in your life. You're starting to learn to live with it. You ask the Lord to deliver you, to teach you to walk in newness of life. overcome enslaving sin that you would not cause harm because of your sin Lord yours is the power and the glory ever and ever so as we've asked these things in your name According to your heart, we trust you will act. We ask you to move. Stand together and together we're going to declare this. We don't often do this. We're not doing it out of ritual, but out of a heart that cares about what the Father cares about. Let's pray together out loud. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's worship the name of Jesus in which we pray. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a powerful name it is. Nothing can stand against. What a powerful name. The name of Jesus.
after we hear a sermon about prayer that if you need prayer man don't leave this place without going to talk to somebody going to pray with somebody it's something we say every week and it's such a powerful thing in life and as Doug pointed out this morning we need it more God bless you guys have a great day